Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How are you doing, Adam? I'm home alone. Whoa. Have been for a couple days, will be for a couple of days. I was wondering why you were slapping the sides of your cheeks like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been that kind of time uh, when I teach myself how to shave. <laughs> You remember the first time you ever shaved? I wasn't that young. I wasn't Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone young. No. I think I was in high school, sadly. Yeah, I remember it felt uh, really intense, like after, you know, like the the feeling of freshly shaved skin was, uh, was a lot. My face looked like a terry cloth towel before. Like, I was ready. I had all the peach fuzz. And I really needed it. Yeah. I had to go get my fucking own shaver. Like, my parents didn't tell me or show me anything. Wow. I had to figure it out. So I went to the drugstore and I bought a razor and... I took it home like the the cheapest Norelco razor I could find, like the three, oh, the three heads thing. Yeah, yeah. And the triangle of circles. Yeah, and like, what do you do? Those things don't even come with instructions. It's like charge and use on face. <laughs> and so I did. I probably shaved my entire face with that thing. Yeah. Like an idiot. This is before the uh, the availability of like a YouTube video that you could consult if you had a, a home activity that you didn't know how to do. The kids of today are watching all manner of shaving videos to know the tips. Right. I didn't have that. Do you think that the kids of today are watching YouTube videos for that and also all the other things our parents neglected to teach us, like how to pay your taxes, what insurance you should get, what you should do with money? <laughs> We really do have it a lot better now, the, today's <laughs> kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I was your age, <laughs> I used to go to school wearing shoeboxes on my feet, and then I'd come home and nut in the shoebox and hide it under the desk. Your parents seem pretty hands-on. It wouldn't surprise me if your dad actually taught you how to shave, like a father and son moment. Is that what you got? I don't think I got that. There's the story about when I was like a little, little kid and I wasn't being that carefully looked after and got my hands on my dad's razor and attempted to mimic what I'd seen him doing in the morning and just cut my face into ribbons. Oh, no. Yeah. With an electric or with a with a razor razor? No, with a razor razor, yeah. Like a Bic? Yeah, I think probably exactly a Bic. Oh, God. And uh, yeah, it was just a bloody mess. I looked like uh, like the Joker for a little while. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. Your dad should have kept that thing locked up. Yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah, but having a baby that is now moving around a lot, I'm starting to realize like what a futile thing it is going to be trying to make a house that doesn't offer you know uh what do they call the attractive nuisances right, right to the baby like <laughs> are you gonna switch to electric razors now now that darone is uh ambulatory yeah i mean most of the time i only use electric razors because i have 
you know, not much of a beard, but I have a little stubble and I'm, I just kind of keep it in place with a, with a razor with like a one half blade guard on it, you know? Wow. Yeah. I, I had such a bad experience with my first razor, baby's first Norelco, <laughs> that as soon as I could get out of it, possibly I did. I've been a safety razor for years and years. Yeah. I do have a safety razor. It's it's on a high shelf. It'll be a good decade before Darone will be tall enough to get up to there. God, can you imagine? It's so weird to think about future Darone. Yeah. And future you. It's a trip. Anytime I see something about like a teen on, on a TV show or something, I'm like, man, he's going to be a teen. I don't have kids and I'm not going to have them, but like even I- Hey, Adam, when are you two going to have a kid? <laughs> <laughs> but even I think about how I would do it differently. Are you just overwhelmed with those thoughts all the time? Like, here's another week with Darone. How do I make it better for him? Then I got it. <laughs> Is that something you think about? Or do you just go through the days as like doing the best dad job you can? I, I anticipate having that. Right now, he's too little for me to know really how I got it when I was his age. So I don't feel like I know how to do a better or worse version than how I got it. Yeah. So we're just doing the best we can right now. That sounds like a really healthy attitude to have. <laughs> I would have a terrible attitude about parenthood. I'd just be in competition with myself and and my own upbringing and uh -huh. everyone else. It'd be awful. Well, you've made a decision that is the right decision for you Yeah. in that case. I sure have. Do you want to make the right decision for our listeners today, Adam? Finally getting out of whatever this is <laughs> and into something more comfortable. I could yeah. do that. Yeah. It's season six, episode four of Star Trek Voyager. Tinker, tenor, doctor, spy. Reaper course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> do you like a Jean Le Carré novel or movie adaptation? I mean, I get the reference, and that is as far as it goes for me. Oh, did you not see the Taylor of Panama? Have you seen the Gary Oldman Tinker Taylor? I have not, no. Ah, I, I kind of think you would like those movies. Are they good? I think uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy is better than Taylor of Panama, but they're both pretty fun. Yeah. Is there a bunch of uh, sewing happening? No, it's mostly spycraft. It's just a bunch of spies doing spy shit, mostly. There's no tailoring at all. No. I don't know why he brings tailors into his title so often. I guess there might be some sewing in Taylor of Panama. I can't remember it as well. Hmm. 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 Anyways. Very sad cold open in my mind as we witness the doctor going full data, just <laughs> making his interests someone else's entertainment in kind of a hostile way. Yeah. I don't like this. Even the fish begin to weep. No one wants to be there. You look around in the audience and like, we know what these faces look like. We see these faces every time we do a live show. Yeah. It's the one guy sleeping conspicuously in the front row. The uncontrollable horniness that one and only one person experiences in the crowd. <laughs> That's Tuvok. Because mm -hmm. the doctor's yeah. singing. 
singing the uh, the Looney Tunes opera song that everyone's familiar with. Yeah, a lot of people thought that the Beatles were remarkable for having that effect on the young ladies in their audience. Yeah, every performer has this. There's one person that cries and completely flips out and gets ultra ultra horny. It's just that they had a very high uh, ratio of that to other types of fans in the audience. But we get that. You wouldn't expect Tuvok's basement to be flooded the way that it is here, but it is full gush. He feels. It takes Paris throwing the doctor a hypospray to take Tuvok down, and the doctor hasn't stopped singing. No, he's he's switched into like parody lyrics at a greatest gen level of competency. Sure, in their writing, which doesn't help the audience, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, before the reveal, this seems more insane than what Data did when he read poetry to everybody. Yeah, after the reveal, like retrospectively, you're like, no, Data is worse and crazier yeah. than the Doctor, because <laughs> this this is just a fantasy. But Data is so powerful that I would never want to insult him with my absence right. of a performance, right? Right. It wouldn't be hard for Data to subdue Tuvok yeah. you know, <laughs> in but a I moment mean, like this. Even Tuvok has that Vulcan strength. He does have that type of strength, but that doesn't... I mean, Data can bend a pipe in half, you know? Yeah, yeah. Unclear whether Tuvok could bend his pipe in half, given that... <laughs> <laughs> He's experiencing pond far. Yeah. And inside the doc's hypo spray is what exactly? Uh Savick's fingers. <laughs> <laughs> they just they just come out of the tip and then come go back in. Yeah. I hope she made a product after Star Trek 3. Yeah. A product useful for the Falcon youths. Don't. <laughs> Probably a beverage or a pill. I wonder what Genesis Spock and Savick's love child is named. And does that kid get it as bad as Spock did as a kid for being one quarter human? Or through Vulcan logic, does that kid get it half as bad as Spock did? I've been watching an HBO show called 100 Foot Wave, and it's just about like big waves. Oh yeah, surfers. season two is out, right? Yeah. And the main character on the show has a kid with a vanity name. Uh-huh. His name is Beryl. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so it got me thinking as an answer to your question, like what's the vanity name that Savick and Spock would name their kid? It would be Finger, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would have to be. It would have to be Finger. <laughs> so the doctor has been daydreaming. He's like leaning back in his chair. Yeah. This was all just a fantasy. Not even the holodeck could make an experience this wild. BLT suggests to the doctor in real life that if he has time to daydream, he's got time to day clean. (laughs) And the doc is upset because he's wanted to go on this away team that they're planning for, and they just don't have the slot for him or whatever. All the positions are filled, and the doc's feeling real sore about it. This is the rare away mission that gets like a ton, a ton of pre-planning. And yeah, he's bummed. There's like a canyon that he was very interested in taking a picture of with his uh, hollow imager. He's real miffed. BLT offers to take pictures and, you know, the doctor knows better than to send her on a mission where she's just supposed to take pictures. Yeah. Photographs? Just photographs. BLT and really everyone on the crew are put in that position of not really giving the doctor everything he wants. He He kind of reads as as a child, 
you know? Right. He's kind of tanting, isn't he? <laughs> He's tanting a little bit. Lieutenant, I wanted to go on the away team. So up on the bridge, they're, they're going past a T-class nebula. No word on whether that's just the letter T or the beverage. But uh, anyways, it's, it's a bit of an anomaly. It wasn't showing up on sensors before, but now it is. And uh, while they're remarking on this unremarkable nebula. There's nothing too dramatic in that nebula. A pad is passed to the captain with an angry letter from the doctor. And this is the full-blown tantrum. Never fun to receive a surprise manifesto from a coworker. This is really unwelcome for everyone. And it's what's tough is that the doctor has bottled up all of these feelings about being held back right. and explodes that on the page. And I love Chakotay and Tuvok here who are like, look, Cap, this is kind of what we're here for, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're the human shields. If you could only hear yourselves. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. We're the human and Vulcan shields for this sort of administrative work. And Janeway, to her credit, is like, I have nothing else to do. Yeah. I'll go respond personally. Yeah. So she's, uh, she heads off into her ready room to pen a response. This is what happens when you write a manifesto. It invites a response manifesto. Right. And I think that like the fallacy of the manifesto writer is thinking that getting yourself to the manifesto stage of your anger is uh, going to be a productive way of uh, getting what you want. Oh yeah, you know it's great. You got to address your complaints like early and often so that you don't boil over into manifesto. Because at that point, it's too late. It's just tedious for everyone else involved at that point. Yeah. Inside the nebula, we find a ship, a Grimace ship crewed by Harkonnen-looking people. <laughs> Tonight the house of a trade is full. And all of these people have comic book guy voices and attitudes, I found. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're kind of egghead. Like the backs of their heads look like uh, LV-426 eggs, you know? Yeah, yeah, they really do. As far as loaf goes, this looks like the hottest in temperature. They sure are wearing a lot. They are. I hope the air conditioning was cranked up to max on the soundstage that day. They may be doing that thing that news broadcasters do where it's, they just wear like a suit on top and shorts on the bottom. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't see these guys' legs ever, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they gave them that Yeah. at the very least. I mean, just trying to get out of this to go pee. Looks like it would be a real pain in the ass, right? It's got to be hard to get into character as a grimace when above the waist you're grimace, but below the waist you're in Bermuda shorts <laughs> and flip-flops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, otherwise it's diaper on set, you know? Right, so right. You're like right in between takes, still under the lights, and uh, you're like distracted. They're like, we're rolling. What are you doing? And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm 10-1. I'm 10-1. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have told somebody. Usefully, this culture refers to its hierarchy as the hierarchy, and it is something about which they are very obsessed. Yeah. Their entire way of doing things is about the hierarchy, whether or not it's on the ship or the hierarchy they communicate with to get their orders. And when our main character here, which I would describe as like the lesser of the crew people that we know, 
goes above their manager's head to communicate with the hierarchy directly, it's an end around that Riker would jerk so hard at, right? <laughs> I'll snap you back so hard you'll think you're a first-year cadet again. Yeah. These guys actually do have character names. Our main guy is actually named Flox, which is a character name that Star Trek reused later on The Doctor on Enterprise. I didn't get it from the episode, so maybe that's why they felt confident enough to reuse it, because I sure don't hear it a bunch. Yeah. Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully, because I'm going to say this once. The actor that plays the Overlooker has one of the great character actor names I've ever seen. Did you see this whiz by in the credits? What, you're talking about Googie? Googie Gress. Wow. Googie Gress. Googie Gress Jr. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You, you gotta honor the original Googie. Motherfucking OG. <laughs> With a junior, right? Yeah. He's been in a whole bunch of stuff. He's in Apollo 13, Adam. He's in Wayne's World 2. No shit. He's in Frasier. <laughs> that's how that's pronounced, for sure. <laughs> so uh, Flox has kind of gone over the Overlooker's head, gotten sign-off from the hierarchy to do a very specific scanning thing on the Voyager. They're, they're surveilling the Voyager, this type of scanning that he wants to do is like a very like focused scan at the microscopic level. He thinks he might be able to tap into their computer system and get some information about Voyager. No word on what they want to do with this information yet, but uh, they don't seem like they're up to anything good. I think it's pretty critical that these people don't look threatening. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the idea of being completely alone and far from home and being spied on, that's creepy. No one likes that. It is creepy. But when you see who's doing the spying and it's this ship of dopes, it doesn't feel scary the way it might otherwise, right? They do sort of seem packlet adjacent, don't they? Yeah, it, it seems like a clump ship. <laughs> so why did they get different actors to play the parts then? Uh, yeah, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> And Eddie Murphy as <laughs> the Overlooker. <laughs> Back on Voyager. Issue one. They're pre-gaming the Dustbuster Club that everyone's so excited about that the Doctor doesn't get to go on. Yeah. So cruel that they make him sit in on the meeting when he's not even going to get to go on the mission, right? He's got to be a part of every meeting, right? He should. There's always a medical angle. Right. This meeting, he's getting a little distracted from, though, because uh, some some feet are rubbing him under the desk. He thinks maybe it's Neelix at first. Then he realizes that it's seven. Oh, God. Could you imagine seeing Neelix's feet again after <laughs> the one episode we saw them? <laughs> what a comeback. Yeah. And they're, like, rubbing the doctor's crotch under the table. Ooh. <laughs> I thought we threw those feet in the furnace. <laughs> yeah, actually, after season three, they auctioned those feet off, Adam. Oh, really? I don't know if you knew this. Yeah. We have that list of uh, prop auctions here, and uh, it turns out Garrett Wong won uh, the left foot. Just the lefty, huh? Got outbid on the right, unfortunately. Any idea who bid on the right? B-Dunks. Oh, shit. Yeah. I think that's cool. It's probably the only time they've had an argument in their entire friendship. I mean, 
that's going to have to happen for us. The shared custody of mm. props and gifts and stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've got those nubbin bugs. I know. What are we going to do about that? I don't know. I still maintain brownie pan frame is, uh, is how I want mine up on the wall. <laughs> Eat hearty, brother. Relish in you. Brownies! So yeah, all the ladies in this McLaughlin group are really throwing themselves at the doctor. The captain pulls this move where she's like talking about an old injury and she wants a massage. And she puts his hand right on her butt to massage it right there in the middle of the meeting. I was shocked by this. Yeah. We've got the single saxophone jazz solo of a bunch of women fighting over a lover. Doctor. This it's is hot and heavy. Doctor. This is a complicated fantasy, I have to say. <laughs> it really is. It's so absurd that it couldn't be anything but another daydream. And gladly, it is. Yeah, so it is. The doctor snaps out of it, and it's not clear that there was ever a McLaughlin group. Yeah. It's just him and the captain in the conference room meeting about his angry letter he sent her. Yeah. So I don't think this was like a see-me-after-class moment. Right. Per se. This often happens to a manifesto writer. Rightfully, the recipient of the manifesto pivots into real-life conversation like a mature person. <laughs> like, hey, why don't we talk about whatever this is? <laughs> like adults. And the doctor's like, I'm a no-limit soldier. Right. I can do anything. And Janeway's like, Shut up. <laughs> you should also know your limits. What did you think of the uh, the framing in this scene? Because like, like they start seated and then they get up and they're talking to each other. And the doctor, I don't know if there's like a step down to get out of the conference room. Like it's a non-ADA compliant conference room or something. But he is like significantly shorter in both framings. Like, like he's looking up at her making this request. And then when the camera flips around, she's looking down at him. She really like towers over him. That is interesting. Doesn't seem like how they're usually blocked. No, but I think it sort of makes sense for the emotion of the scene because he's like asking her for something that she is denying him, which yeah. is like more freedom and more like upward mobility, more opportunities to show other ways he can be an asset to the crew. He wants to be made into the emergency command hologram just in case. I do really like the specifics of what the doctor's asking. It isn't just like, you don't treat me with respect and I should be a backup captain. Yeah. It's like, I want specific steps about how I can be a more fully realized member of this crew. Like, I ha actually have a, a development plan here to pitch you. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I'm looking at the episode now and what I'm realizing is that this scene starts in the conference room and he snaps out of it and he's sitting at the conference room table but the camera cuts a couple of times and suddenly they're in her ready room yeah and she's standing up on that platform where the couches are well that would account for the height disparity wouldn't you say yeah it does but it, but they don't ever walk from one room to the other it's it's uh, hidden in the edit that's really interesting that's one aspect to this entire episode that really keeps you on your toes as a viewer is the constantly changing settings. Yeah, yeah. It should have kept uh, flocks on his toes. Yeah. But he doesn't realize that until later. This entire pitch seems like a great deal for the doctor, and Janeway gives him the big city letdown 
which everyone knows is I'll pass along your request to management. <laughs> Who are still decades away. <laughs> yeah, this is rough. Like that's maybe the most withering thing Janeway could say. Let me get back to the Alpha Quadrant, I'll pass it along. Right. Because it's not passing the buck. It's like shooting the buck out a torpedo tube toward the Alpha Quadrant <laughs> and it won't reach the Alpha Quadrant for 70 years. Right. After her death, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he walks down the hallway and into the cargo bay where it turns out he's being congratulated for his great achievement in becoming the emergency command hologram. There's champagne. There are balloons. Seven's giving him sexy kisses on the cheek as his BLT. I mean, that's the greatest reward for a promotion, right? Mm -hmm. Two chicks at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) You got that right. We cut over to the alien ship in the nebula, and they're watching this on their monitors. They could see what the doc sees. They're using this as a strategy to surveil the Voyager. Yeah, so it turns out fantasy is what is being fed into the egghead ship. Yeah. And so they, they don't know what they're watching, but they're like, wow, so this, this doctor is very capable. And he seems to be an expert on everything. Flox has a lot of feelings about this. He's like, man, so these guys can do more than one thing? All I get to do is scan. I really like this aspect to the episode. It's not just a strategic thing. It's a subordinate in a dead-end job seeing the doctor's situation as an inspiration. Yeah, and it's something to aspire to. Yeah. He, like, really comes to admire the Doctor over the course of this episode. Yeah. I mean, unclear if this guy's ever been kissed, hmm. let alone simultaneously by two coworkers. <laughs> Gives him a lot to think about. Yeah. And, like, honestly, like, which of his coworkers would he even want to be kissed by? They really look kind of Lurian, in a way. Yeah. They're like a midpoint between a Lurian and a Packled, I would say. Lurian, Packled, Grimace. Choose two. <laughs> there are three things to remember about being a Starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. They're talking about the, you know, like how good of a, a lead is this from a surveillance standpoint? Because we need to like learn about the ship. And this guy's a doctor. And he's going like, no, like this guy has access to everything. Like yeah. I'll cover the whole shebang. Just by following this guy around and seeing things from from his standpoint, it turns out the connection goes in and out a little bit. So yeah, like it, it seems like when the doctor is daydreaming is when they can watch what he's quote unquote seeing. But when he's not, they're not. Right. Yeah. He's given the go ahead to continue his surveillance and we cut back over to Six Bay where the doc is preparing Neelix to be the one that's only supposed to take pictures on this away mission. This is the ultimate indignity for the doctor. Right. That he has to prep Neelix for this. I prefer wide shots, Mr. Neelix. Will do. I mean, what you didn't see is the part of the visit to the doctor that Neelix had before where he just got a foot rub for his sore feet. (laughs) So, I mean, it's indignity on top of indignity, really. If you've got a fantasy scenario where everyone wants to kiss you, or whatever. <laughs> why wouldn't Neelix be party to this? Like, why wouldn't everyone love the doctor? It's just the women. Yeah. Doctor does not crave Neelix's approval or anything. No. 
now. I wish the show interrogated more like what it is about the doctor's program that makes him horny. Yeah. Because like, why would a program be horny? It's kind of an interesting question. Like, is it based too much on Dr. Zimmerman? Is Zimmerman particularly horny? That's got to be it. I mean, at least with Data, you understood that there was an aspiration, right? Right. But it's unclear, besides the professional, what the doctor's really after in terms of his growth, right? The doctor almost seems like he would not be horny if he could not be horny. If I could possibly not be horny, I I would choose that. Like, it's just, (laughs) it's such a distraction. It gets in the way of everything. What am I going to do being horny? What's the, where were the upsides? Exactly. And and that's what I'm feeling for the doctor here. Like, what's all this about? Yeah. He's not just horny for the ladies. He's also horny for action. Yeah. And uh, he's up on the bridge when they're sending the Delta Flyer down to this planet and uh, suddenly the Delta Flyer connection drops and a Borg sphere pulls up on them. Before you know it, bangers getting dropped all over the bridge, people getting hurt, people getting assimilated. Yeah. Implants popping out all over the place. It's like the Borg like must have implanted some DNA in everyone years ago and are finally sending a signal that causes them to sort of spontaneously assimilate into the collective. Pretty scary thought. Yeah. These Borg spheres can be anywhere. They can. Why do the scientists keep making them? (laughs) I don't know. They really need to knock it off. We get a great sequence where the EMH activates the emergency command hologram. His yoke turns red. A bunch of pips appear on his neck. Transferring all systems to your command. You have the bridge. Very confidently, he takes over commanding the ship as they try to repel the Borg. It's a real... Clark Kent turns in the Superman moment, isn't it? Because they return to this sequence again later on in the episode. Yeah. He's like really doing that like three-quarter stance with his arms akimbo. Like he's definitely doing Superman shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's got some smart-alecky lines for the Borgs on the FaceTime call. Mm -hmm. He subdues Chakotay and and Tuvok simultaneously before he fires this giant cannon at the sphere and it gets destroyed. I like that he's dual wielding the hypo sprays. <laughs> yeah, where did he have those things? I don't know. So he's got this uh, photonic cannon that they shoot at the cube, vaporizing the cube. And this is very impressive to Phlox, who's been watching this whole situation on his little screen, his little desk. It's an awkward moment on the Voyager bridge, too, because this is a moment that you actually see through the rest of the bridge crew's eyes. Like, Where'd you go, Doc? (laughs) Kind of staring off into space? I mean, we all do that when we look at the view screen, but you're doing it all weird. You're looking off (laughs) over there. You're doing it figuratively. We're trying to do it literally right now. Yeah. My space is down here, (laughs) Doctor. Harry Kim goes and like snaps his fingers in front of the Doc's eyes, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, medically, everything's looking good. Yeah. The Nebular ship watches all this and are confronted with the idea that maybe the Voyager is just a little bit more than they can take on directly. This might be a mismatch with them, and a stealth assault is what's recommended. 
Yeah. And it's what's approved. They're going to go through with this plan. Yeah. The hierarchy likes this idea of a type three stealth assault. And uh, looks like uh, they're about to start sneaking up on the Voyager crew. I don't think there's anything stealthy about these aliens. I think it's what the ships are going to be doing. Right. There will be no need for stealth once these guys beam over. <laughs> no. Yeah, the boarding party is not the stealthy part of this. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, lunch at McDonald's. Back on Voyager in a corridor, uh, the doctor walks and is interrupted by Chakotay, who is so enthusiastic with his congratulations for the doctor. Great job out there. boy, Doc. Shooting your big weapon at the sphere, making it blow real big. Yeah. Everybody's really impressed by the size of your weapon. And then Chakotay, like, takes off his boot and rubs his foot on the inside of the doctor's leg, which is hard to do when you're standing. Right. He's got great balance. Yeah. I, I love the way they shot this, too, where the camera goes in close on the foot on the crotch and then pans up, and the doctor just shakes his head no, and then the camera pans back down to the pencil and Chakotay's fist <laughs> snapping. <laughs> It's not tree pose, Chicote, when you put your foot on the inside of someone else's leg. <laughs> yeah. One is yoga, the other is sexual harassment. That's what she says. The doctor in this moment actually recognizes that Chicote is being a little suspiciously nice and asks the computer in front of Chicote's face where Chicote is. And when Chicote says that he's in his quarters, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. What's this foot rubbing my dick? <laughs> this is a moment in the episode where I'm like, they can't hear the doctor in this weird way. Like these daydreams yeah. don't function the way real people would. Right. I mean, for a variety of reasons, but this one specifically. Like, does John Arbuckle hear the thoughts that Garfield is having? Exactly. Yeah. Sort of an open question. He asks the computer, like, computer, where is the nearest broken pencil? And it says, also Chicote's quarters. And he's like, Jesus, I'm losing it here. <laughs> and so the next scene, he's got Seven and BLT and Kim, and he's he's told them about his daydreams having turned into delusions. And this is kind of an emergency, right? Like, their only doctor is really losing his mind. And in classic Star Trek fashion, they've taken the danger of the episode and placed it right next to the warp core for examination. <laughs> yeah. They have a patak for a patient, and he slips into his delusion during and, you know, believes that the warp core is melting down and that he's been selected as the only person that can withstand the radiation inside to, to fix it. Yeah, BLT and Seven recognize that they need to order him to a submarine-style death. <laughs> yeah. And the doctor's all too happy to do this. He, like, snaps into action and starts climbing over the railing. Yeah, wants to go out like Zahn so fucking bad. And Great edit here. Yeah, and it takes all three of them to haul him out of here. He doesn't have super strength, it doesn't seem like. Yeah. I wonder if they could turn that up. Like, is there a slider in the settings menu of his program where you could turn him up to data strength? Yeah, but the problem is it takes away from some other qualities. Like, he becomes dumber or... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, you only have 100 
uh-huh. hit points. It's just where you spread them. <laughs> How you allocate them. Yeah. Oh, man. But that would that would reduce his skills of lockpicking. Exactly. <laughs> Can't do that. I've got to get that. Latinum. Put your Latinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that. Latinum. Latinum. just drunk gold. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it.
So after this excitement, he's sort of been put in the padded room of the Six Bay. BLT and the captain are talking about his situation. He's just kind of talking to himself, you know, thinks he's surrounded by diplomats and women that want to do sex with him. And This is good Robert Picardo stuff right here. Yeah. This seems hard to do. <laughs> I like the... Uh, the moment when he runs into the force field and just like rubs his nose and gets back to glad handing with the people he imagines think he's great. They should really shut this off, but they don't. Yeah. They need to study him. They need to study him. And it seems like part of how they're doing this is uh, running visuals of what he's fantasizing about in the holodeck. Yeah. So like the captain and BLT get called away by Harry Kim. They leave him in Six Bay and go down to the holodeck, and he's down there, like, you know, painting Seven, like one of his French girls and stuff. Yeah, what a scene. Yeah. He left the nipples off of all of the drawings. (laughs) (laughs) Which was tasteful, I thought. (laughs) I mean, a lesser Star Trek podcast would begin a conversation about whether or not Seven has nipples. Yeah. That's not this show. This is a classy show. No, come on. What do you take us for? Yeah. The nipples are the private part of the boob. That's the part you can't show. There's something deep. I mean, besides what it represents to their co-working relationship, there's something deeply uncomfortable about the pictures themselves. Like there's something about the expression on the face of Seven in these pictures that is really off-putting. Yeah, Like her eyes follow you around the room and you're like, I kind of wish her nipples would follow me around the room, but they're not there, man. I think it may be something about the angle of her head as it relates to the angle of her body. Like a person sort of okay at sketching a person versus someone who really has a good grasp of shape and form (laughs) in an artistic sense. Yeah. Somewhere between is where the doctor exists. It's in that uncanny valley. Yeah. (laughs) The uncanny valley where there are no nipples. (laughs) He does the hands very well. Yeah. It's a very intense scene also because like the three women that seem to be the primary foci of his horny fantasies are all present to watch his various fantasies take place. Yeah. And like we cut from him doing nudes of seven to taking over for Janeway on the bridge in a Borg attack scene. What's weird is the Borg's queen is on screen. No nipples. Yeah. What does it mean? When they assimilate them, do they do something with that? I I don't know. Like, is there just a tank full of nipples somewhere on a Borg's ship? Yeah. What are they doing with them? (laughs) If they assimilate a dude, do they do something with the nipples? Yes, all nipples. (laughs) It's just, (laughs) maybe they're like pickling them, you know, keeping them preserved. You know, those tanks of jet fuel outside of major airports, there's like a Mm -hmm. tank that big, just stuffed with nipples. Just full of nipple pickles. Ugh. (laughs) Dill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no deal, Adam. <laughs> we dissolved in the mess hall where the doctor is seen letting BLT down romantically while Paris waves from across the room. Paris is made to watch. Mm-hmm. 
That's an even more intense version of the cuckold fantasy, right? Like, Absolutely. Not even watching your partner have sex with another, but watching your partner hit on and be turned down by another. God, that is, <laughs> that is a disturbing subculture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, they seem to have the loudest megaphone in contemporary politics, and yet it's a very small group at the end of the day. Wow. Oh, could you imagine... There's a car in your driveway. Yeah. It's a coworker Ugh. of our wives. Yeah. Oh, no. They're just sitting at the coffee table, and that person is just letting them down. <laughs> Gently. Yeah. And you're like outside looking in through a window from the bushes, jerking it. Uh, yeah, not me. <laughs> Am I making any sense here? So over on the invisible ship in the nebula, Phlox has seen all of this and is now realizing... He has really fucked up. And uh, <laughs> even Flax knows this can't be real. Yeah. The overlooker is like, cool, well, uh, we're getting ready for this big assault. You know, the more accurate information you can give us, the better. Flax is like, hey, what if we like don't attack Voyager? What, what about that? How does that strike you as an idea? It doesn't strike him as a good idea at all. Yeah. They want to get that antimatter, that dilithium. When the manager fucks off. Flax admits to a coworker that he's made a terrible mistake. This is no good. Yeah. And he doesn't know what to do about it. He's really worried about how pissed off the hierarchy is going to be, not to mention the overlooker. Yeah. Flax has really got to trust the hell out of this coworker, though. I know, right? Man. I'd love to be this coworker, though. Everything's fine for that guy. Yeah. He gets to kind of watch all the tea spill from the cheap seats. Yeah. You talk about looking through the window and jacking it. That's what that guy gets to do. He's <laughs> watching Fox get career cucked. Yeah. <laughs> Fox is in a bit of a dilemma, but back on Voyager, we find out that the matrix of the doctor has been stabilized and he's a little humiliated about uh, what's happened, but he's talking to the captain and he's like, yeah, so that's what I fantasize about, you know. <laughs> This is no having a Star Trek podcast, but it's pretty embarrassing. Janeway shows him a lot of grace in this moment. We all daydream, Doctor. And I have to believe the only reason for that is that she did not watch a fantasy where her butt gets touched by him, right? <laughs> because if she had, there is no way she would be this kind. I mean, yes, but she does have children with Tom Paris. And she is like, you know, being compassionate about the fact that we all have little flights of fancy in our minds that are our own private business. That's part of being a starship captain, right? Yeah. What is it? It's going down with the ship. It's uh, always wearing a crisp uniform. And yeah. it's forgiving the many sexual fantasies of your crew people. Yeah, just knowing that you're going to have some Barclays on board, you know? No matter what, even on the D, they had a Barkley on board. There's no avoiding the Barkleys in your life and in your career, is there? <laughs> oh, they're around, you know? Yeah. I think at, at, at the core, we all have a little bit of Barkley in us. Yeah, some more than others. You know, there's nothing wrong with a healthy fantasy life, as long as you don't let it take over. You call this healthy? So she has a conversation with Chakotay about, you know, next steps. And Chakotay is really against this empowering the doctor to be an ECH or, you know, do anything beyond his current status. 
And the captain makes a really interesting point. Like his potential is totally unknown. Yeah. He could be working around the clock doing all kinds of great shit. They just don't know. Yeah. Would it be a good idea to tap that potential? Unclear. Would it be a good idea to tap that booty? Also unclear. Yeah. I don't know if I'd take it that far. He probably won't settle for less. Feels like a making time kind of scene here before we cut back over to Six Bay where the doc is hearing voices. Yeah. And seeing visions again. And he's aware at least this time that this is a vision. That's a difference between now and the previous ones, right? Yeah. The Matrix is not as stabilized as uh, we had been led to believe. And uh, this is confirmed when he notices a flute of champagne on his sample table. And suddenly we're in the cargo bay and Flox is there. And Flox has uh, endeavored to do this because he was trying to communicate via this daydream. So the doctor is like in real time finding out that another character saw all of his horniest fantasies and, you know, trying to determine whether this character actually exists or is just part of the daydream. (laughs) Like has the daydream gotten like one step more clever in its, its tactics for tricking him? I love that the subtext is that he's in big trouble with the boss. You know, the headline is you're about to be attacked, but the subhead is help me out, dude. (laughs) Can you do me a solid? You're about to be attacked. It's pretty much my fault. And uh, my career is at risk if it goes down. So it would be awesome if you could hook me up. Right. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. He tells the doc the whole thing about the the long-range sensor thing and uh, the inbound ships that are going to snatch Voyager's uh, dilithium and whatnot. And he also expresses the the admiration we were talking about in the scene. It's like, man, like you have a cool imagination, dude. I, n- I never would have thought of half of this shit. I mean, I'm such a dope, I would have drawn nipples right on those pictures. But you, you kept it safe for TV, and I admire that. Part of having a good imagination is having restraint, and that's something I learned from you. Imagine the nipple. That way, you don't have to draw them. Leave some imagination to your imagination. So the doc takes this morning for action and goes straight to the bridge, where Janeway rightfully, isn't immediately persuaded by this. Yeah, a lot of eye rolls in this scene. He spoke to me in a daydream. I don't want to hear it. But the doctor has brought receipts. He has some sensor alterations that they can make to reveal these ships. And he passes an iPad with that stuff to Harry Kim, who punches it in. And sure enough, there are ships. So they believe him. And this kind of explains why the daydreams were getting so fucked up, is that the sensor was triggering the thing where he couldn't tell the difference between the daydreams and reality. That's right. It seems like Flox's plan is going to come to fruition. Like, they found the guys. They know about, what is it, the Stealth Plan 3? Stealth Plan 3. Sounds like it's going to kick ass. Yeah. With a name like that. Oh, Type 3 Stealth Assault. Ah. Probably what we're uh, grasping for. I actually did write that down. The Harkonnens would be so confused if I asked about that. Yeah. Stealth plan three? What do you mean? What a dope. (laughs) The hierarchy would fucking curb stomp you for that. Yeah. 
So part of the plan that the EMH and Fox have worked out is EMH has to sell himself as the emergency command hologram. The superiors on Flax's ship need to see the emergency command hologram that they've been warned about. And so uh, he's going to have to uh, ask Janeway to step aside for this mission. <laughs> she she is uh, headed about up to here with the doctor, but... You know, it seems like this is the only way to play it. So this literally makes no sense, but it's fun. <laughs> it makes for a weird episode. <laughs> Let's do it. I'll head down to the ass lab with my ass. Yeah, I think it may be a self-defense plan for Janeway to stay as far <laughs> away from the doctor as she can. Right. Me and no nipples will be in the ass lab <laughs> doing the real work of the ship. Our feet will be there with us. <laughs> Sounds great. So at the last minute, the Overlooker, in preparing for this Type 3 stealth assault, notices that there is no dino damage on the Voyager from their run-in with the Borgs, which leads him to believe that maybe the Voyager is a tougher nut to crack than they previously thought. So he decides to escalate the plan to a type four stealth assault, Adam. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> you don't just do a type four, Ben. Yeah, that's fucked up. Do you really think that's necessary? But if you could get the hierarchy's approval, you can do a type four. And yeah. so they do. And Flox is back to absolutely shitting himself. I mean, the doctor's shitting himself too. He's prepped for command and he he does that thing where he doesn't know how to sit down <laughs> yeah you know like when you're on stage you sometimes forget how to walk i do this all the time i do not mm -hmm. know how to walk if i'm being watched i don't know how to work the body it's one of the reasons people buy tickets for our live shows i know how's adam gonna walk out on stage <laughs> it looks like you forgot who walks like that it's so fucking weird is he injured is he doing that on purpose? Is this a bit? Is that like a sciatic thing? I feel bad. Is there like a, a chiropractor that we could send up there to uh, see if like an adjustment would help? Yeah. He finally figures it out. He sits that ass down and from the ass lab, Janeway and Seven kind of puppet master his commands. That's going to be the plan going forward. Yeah. So he has to play captain while this type four assault happens and... He gets a message audio only from Phlox warning him that the thing that they had planned for, the thing they've been drilling on for weeks is not happening. Yeah. He's going to have to think on his feet. Yeah. And this is an awful moment for the doctor. I feel like this is more embarrassing than the doctor touching the ass of every crew member on Voyager. He totally falls apart here on the bridge. He doesn't know how to talk. He doesn't know how to sit. I'm really crossed up. Yeah. And in another weird Barkley ref, he's sort of like being Cyrano de bergerac by the captain. Yeah. But like whenever he riffs or goes off script, he, he does a bad job. But it's funny because this is Robert Picardo doing act bad. <laughs> Like, this is a, a Mobius strip of, of performance here, right? It is. How do you like that, huh? A taste of your own medicine! Tone it down, doctor. <laughs> Sorry. The Mobius strip is funny, but does not go well. No. An interesting thing happens here is, is the photonic cannon gives the doctor confidence. 
Yeah. And this is his big bluff. Right. He's really fumbling the bag here until he remembers that that ship over there is going to know about the photonic cannon if only he refers to it. And on the Grimace ship, the hierarchy suggests retreat in the face of it. We've talked about the doctor's inability to give confidence to his performance. I thought that the uh, overlooker's captaining skills had like a very similar energy. Like neither of them really seems capable of making a decision without approval from their own hierarchy, as it were. It's got to be easy as hell to be a captain of a Grimace ship. You're just taking orders. You're, you're yeah. not making any decisions. You never have to worry about, uh, you know, making a, a a snap decision as a commander. It's captain middle management. Yeah. Big win for the dock. The grimaces turn tail, get the fuck out of there. And it seems like this is like scary enough for them that they are uh, not going to be a problem going forward. And you learn earlier that these guys are everywhere. So maybe the skirmish will prevent a future interaction. Right. Which would be useful. The hierarchy disseminates this information and the Voyager's going to be home free in hierarchy space. Right. Finally in Six Bay, the dock is called into the mess hall by Seven. And in that mess hall, there's an all-team celebration of the Doctor's Starfleet Medal of Commendation, complete with dress uniforms. Yeah. I feel like we haven't seen these in a while. I know. They look good. I also just liked the way the Doctor looked in red. I agree. Great color on him. Yeah. They're pinning him his medal and talking about, like, we're not going to forward a recommendation that Starfleet research making you into an emergency command hologram. We're going to do that research here. Yeah. That medal was so tiny, though. We're going to grab the buck I had passed by shooting that (laughs) torpedo to the Alpha Quadrant. We're going to (laughs) return the buck. Yeah. We're going to put this buck right here for safekeeping in this piggy bank. Yeah. Maybe we'll hear about this buck again, but probably not. Finally, at the very last part of this episode, it's rule of threes on rewards for the doctor, right? Mm -hmm. Metal accommodation. Research project into the possibilities of the doc being command material. And then finally, chaste kiss on the cheek Mm -hmm. from Seven. Platonic. Right. Specifically. Yeah. Very platonic kiss there. And that's the end of the episode, Ben. Did you like it? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I did like this episode. I thought it was a lot of fun. I like the design of the aliens, both physically and in their, like, what makes them tick. I feel like Voyager is uniquely good at this, like making a alien race that has, like, kind of an interesting dynamic and... You see them very briefly, but it implies a whole culture. Like these are simpletons that really need, like they're they're not unborg like, right? They they need like a very like intense collective agreement to do anything. They scour the quadrant for raw materials. Yeah, they're not unben like. (laughs) Yeah, so. uh, I thought as an episode that's like pretty light and silly, it actually like had genuinely funny moments and and good performances and was kind of an interesting story. So yeah, I did like this episode. How about you? I will agree that it was performance strong, specifically from Robert Picardo. I'm kind of tiring of doctor-centric stories though, and it feels like we've gotten a lot of them. Yeah. Over the last 20 episodes or so. 
you know? That is true. Especially when considering what an afterthought Chakotay's become, and to an extent Neelix too. This has really become a The Doctor BLT7 show. I mean, Janeway herself has also, I think, been sidelined by comparison. Right. Yeah, they're giving them a lot to do, so hopefully we'll take a little break in the coming episodes from the doc. Yeah, I need a break from the doctor, I'd say. And that's not due to anything the doctor's done. The doctor didn't draw me without nipples. (laughs) Hey, uh, if you want a break from the doctor, how about eating an apple every day, Adam? Yeah, that's what I should be doing. That'll keep him at bay. Maybe it would uh, unblock this congestion that... It's just a curse on me. Yeah. The past two weeks. Poor guy. Well, do you want to see if we have any uh, priority one messages in the inbox, Adam? Oh, yeah. They're hidden in that nebular. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Chris O'Brien, and it's to all FODs everywhere. It goes like this. Got an unexpected scarves windfall, and I wanted to share it around. Just a quick salute to Ben, Adam, Wendy, and Bill for being awesome. Special shout out to my brother Andrew, and to my IRL friends who have joined the FOD crew, Jenny, Chloe, and other Andrew. Also... Any Letterkenny fan FODs out there? Join the Friends of Roberta's Bondars on Facebook. You heard me. Adam is shocked into wordlessness for the first time in the almost decade that I've known him. <laughs> I've been hearing a lot about Letterkenny lately, and I haven't seen a, a single second of that show, but it's been coming up more and more for some reason. Is that a British show? I thought it was Canadian. Canadian. Oh. Yeah. Probably not for me then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How'd you like to be Other Andrew? I mean... The brother Andrew can't be Other Andrew. No. He's the brother. It's brother or other. You can't be both. Yeah. Maybe he should be both. You can't spell brother without other. Sure can't. Hey, Chris, I know that this is your brother we're talking about, but that's the other Andrew now. Wow. Sorry. What? Yeah. Damn. Field promotion for other Andrew to Andrew. (laughs) Brother demotion to other Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the way it's got to be. That is very hurtful, but I didn't make the rules. You did. That's just how the hierarchy uh, wanted me to do it, Adam. Yeah. I'm just doing what the blinky light on my wall tells me to do. Yeah. Nice execution. You're doing terrific. Ben, our second priority one message is from Sam from Australia. It is to Adam and Ben and all the Uxbridge Shimoda. That message goes like this I've been a longtime viewer and FOD and have finally caught up, so I thought I should send some scarves to celebrate and say thanks. Am a bit sad there will be only one episode a week. Hey, Sam, it sounds like you're not listening to Greatest Trek. <laughs> if only there was some other Great Trek podcast to make up the difference. Hey, Sam! <laughs> Try Greatest Trek! 
<laughs> anyway, love all that you do, especially Chris Brenner. Thanks. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> nice message from Sam from Australia. Yeah. Unclear whether or not the RSS feed for Greatest Trek makes it around the world and down over the equator and reaches Australia. Seems like it might. <laughs> we might be having a problem. Yeah. With the feed. Yeah. Well, uh... I don't know. Whack the side of your, your cell phone and see if that fixes it. We'll just have to bring Greatest Trek to Sam directly and in person. Yeah. Oh, you know, Sam could uh, tune into our, our live stream of the re-encounter at Farpoint in a week or two, right? Yeah, that's right. That would be special for Sam. That's what Sam's got to do. Very much so. Yeah. All right. Well, if you'd like to get a Priority One message... Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set one up today. We'd sure appreciate it. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it to the doctor for not putting nipples on his drugs. <laughs> but if the doctor had drawn nipples on that picture, he'd definitely be Shimoda. That would be worse. I think it would have been much more fun if they had not shown what he was painting, you know? Yeah, I agree. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? I don't think you can show the paintings. The paintings are bad. Like, show the reaction to the paintings. That's much better. It's, it's so much better, you know? Like, I want to imagine that there's a horse playing a saxophone in his painting. I do too. Yeah. Yeah, and instead, it's just... What is it? Four or five versions of a of a nipplesless seven? Yeah, and it's just outlines. He hasn't even like filled in with color. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Very disturbing. I don't like it. <laughs> How about you, Adam? Ben, my Shimoda is Paris waving from across the mess hall. It's not just that he's <laughs> made to witness the letdown that the doctor's giving his girlfriend. Yeah. It's the wave. There's something about this take that's so funny to me. Yeah, the wave, very meek. B-Dunks doesn't have a big role in this episode, but he is very funny all the way through it, I thought. He really is. My body is ready for a B-Dunks episode. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a B-Dunks. Yeah. Need one of those. Uh, well, let me uh, see what we've got coming up next. All right. It's uh, season six, episode five, Alice. And uh, the cap starts with... The name Tom. Wait, it's just called Alice? It's just called Alice. What? Tom's latest shuttle acquisition blurs the line between man and machine. Oh, shit. So this is a Tom Paris episode. It sounds like it's a Tom Paris episode. And it's called Alice. Uh-huh. And it sounds like he's going to fuck the exhaust pipe of a car that he's working on. <laughs> what is he, a dragon? Wow. Okay. Adam, to find out how we are going to be watching that episode, I have gone over to gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, where our runabout is currently on square 40, and uh, it looks like we have a couple things we could hit. We could hit a brone zone, and we could hit a Coco no-no. 
potentially. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. At that. Huh. Huh. I'm gonna have to go ahead and roll this bone. Wow, I rolled a three. Landing us on square 43, the Brone Zone Square of the game of buttholes. I take it you're in charge here. Team leader Brown, fourth board defense contingent. I gotta get a pop. That's it, get it. Awesome. So we will be glimpsing this episode in a very specific way, Adam. Ways that uh, will sound like Vory tellings. Yeah. You'll really get a sense of our, how we feel about the nemesis, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like this hot rod is going to be Tom Paris's nemesis. <laughs> Maybe so. Or lover. Ooh. Wow. Well, that'll be next week here on The Greatest Generation. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to the folks who support us at MaximumFun.org slash join. We're always dropping uh, fun new bonus content, and uh, based on when this episode is coming out, I think we will have some coming real soon. Yeah. Is it Teen Wolf? Are we doing Teen Wolf this month? Oh, yeah. Yeah, watch out for our bonus episode about Teen Wolf. Yeah. An episode inspired by season three of Star Trek Picard. Yeah. I've never seen all of Teen Wolf. I've seen little bits and pieces when it was, like, on TV for a minute. Here's the thing about Teen Wolf. It is a extremely horny movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do they omit nipples or... Uh... <laughs> Pretty sure that the movie is almost entirely nipple-free. Okay. Otherwise, I wouldn't be permitted to watch it as often as I did when I was a kid. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah. Also very sweaty as, as movies go. So it's chased in exactly the same way that a fantasy had by the EMHs. Sure is, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you can get that in your bonus feed if you support us. And if you don't yet, consider this as an inducement to head to MaximumFun.org slash join. Support for the show gets you all the bonus episodes and gets me all of the behind-the-counter Sudafed that I've been needing so badly over the last couple weeks. Wow, you went up and asked for the real stuff. Had to do it. Dang. I'm in bad shape. Thank you for being here for this record, Adam. I couldn't have done it without you. <laughs> no, yeah. I'd love to hear that as an experiment, but... <laughs> Don't think it would be good. No. How about new? We gotta thank Wendy Pretty, our producer, who uh, makes the show sound great. Edits out all of Adam's sneezes and coughs. God. What kind of work has she been doing lately? Just just the fucking worst. Just editing out mucus. That's windy. Yeah. They need to automate the find and replace for phlegm, you know? Yeah. She's pitch correcting me back up into my alto. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We got to thank the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who runs our social media. Gotta thank Adam Ragusia, who made our original theme music and has a great food podcast and food YouTube channel that you should check out. Adam Ragusia is what you search for. Gotta thank Dark Materia for the original Picard song. With all that said, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of the greatest generation in Voyager, where... I mean, we can't even fuck the tailpipes of our cars because we drive electric, baby! Yeah. Gotta fuck something else. (laughs) Yeah, good fucking luck to us.
My car has nipples. <laughs> Make it so. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.